We've got some big news to tell you about from our partners at Conservative Review. Coming this December, it's CRTV, a brand new commercial-free digital network featuring Mark Levin, Michelle Malkin, and Mark Stein. You get all of this content anywhere you go, your laptop, tablet, cell phone, or even on Roku or Apple TV. And you can have all of this programming for a year for only $89 if you sign up before December 1st at CRTV.com. But to get that special price, you've got to use my name at the checkout, Dace. That's D-E-A-C-E. So go to CRTV.com and sign up today. Levin, Malkin, Stein, all for $89 a year. If you go to CRTV.com today and use the promo code DACE. All right, before we get started with this podcast, we need to talk about something. Friends, it, it feels like the whole world can literally change for the worse overnight. You're following the news stories. With what's likely coming for our country, there is one thing you should do, and that's prepare. When you're more self-reliant, you're closer to freedom from any national crisis or job loss or economic downturn. But where do you start, and who can you trust? Let me make this clear. Building an emergency food supply to feed yourself and your family is a wise first step. And our friends at My Patriot Supply will help you prepare. Get four weeks emergency food supply for only $99, shipped free. That's 140 adult servings of easy-to-prepare food. Order today, 888-457-3453, 888-457-3453, or go online at preparewithcr.com. That's preparewithcr.com. Build your emergency food supply for only $99. Limit two units per caller, 888-457-3453, or online at preparewithcr.com. That's 888-457-3453, or at preparewithcr.com. All right, now let's get to the podcast. You are now about to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Government should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential, derived from our maker. That is liberty, and liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. And greetings. Happy Thursday. Thanks for tuning in tonight on the Steve Dace Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook. You can also follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Coming up here in about 15 minutes, good buddy of mine and one of the few GOP consultants I can actually stomach, Matt Makoviak, is going to join us. And, and we're going to look at the Trump transition purely through a political lens. Because um, I, I, as I've told you guys before, I think we make it a false choice as conservatives a lot. And the false choice is that it's either we, we understand how the process works and we're good at it, or we're very principled. It, it's, it, it, it's not an either or, guys. It's and also. I mean, the reality is, how, what, what does it matter how principled you are if you can't make them happen? If you don't understand the political aspect of it, if you, if you don't have the theatrics necessary to pull it off, then all you're doing is blogging. You're venting. It's a Facebook post. It's, you're not governing. You're not winning. On the other hand, what's the point in winning elections if you're not winning with what you actually believe? This is not a sporting event, right? I mean, it's my team. It's my quarterback. I mean, no, Terrell Owens, it's not. This is this is existence. <laughs> this, is, this is a game called, it is a game, but it's called civilization. 
not Team GOP or Team Dem. All right, so I mean, if 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 we're not going to, you know, after so-called winning, if we're not going to advance our values, what's the point? So on this show, we don't believe in this false choice. In fact, we try to reject as many false choices as we can. Right. So if 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 those of you who were who are excited and were supportive of Donald Trump's campaign, if you want to see him come through on what he promised you he would do. He's going to need to be able to politically pull it off. So how's he doing and his team doing in that regard so far? Matt Makoviak uh, will uh, provide the critique for us coming up in about 15 minutes. But I want to begin with something I thought I'd never see. And yeah, it's still surreal to me that, that Donald Trump, a week from tomorrow, is going to take the oath of office, guys. But even when I looked at the analytics of the race and predicted that he was going to lose, it still wasn't unfathomable that he could win, right? We were down to two candidates. You know what I'm trying to say? That, that It wasn't like, I can't see a path to victory, but it wasn't like you were thinking, it's just, just no way, never going to happen. I mean, I, I thought there was no chance he would win, but I, it wasn't like I couldn't fathom a, you know, that, what it would look like if he did at the same time. Something happened earlier today, though that I did think I would never see happen. And you know what? I think it's a good thing because of the way it went down. Let me explain. This morning, on MSNBC of all places, Ted Cruz appeared with Lindsey Graham. And not to debate, but to celebrate, to corroborate on joint legislation. Cats and dogs living together. That, that is, that, that's, that's beyond cats and dogs, Tim. That is, and the lion, she'll lay down with the <laughs> lamb. And I think we know which one is the lion and which one is the lamb. I think you hear me knocking and I'm coming in. Right? I think we know which is which in that conversation, right? This is, this is apocalypto level stuff, watching this. I mean, it's one thing, I mean, for Lindsey Graham to go from in a few months of saying if Ted Cruz was murdered on the floor of the Senate, nobody would care, to then endorsing him for president because he hates Donald Trump so bad, but via press release, that's one thing. That's just politics being politics. But standing up shoulder to shoulder in front of a camera, I never thought I'd see that. Here's why, if you're a conservative, I believe this is a good thing. And this is, again, where we go back to what I just said a moment ago. You have to be effective. Now, you and I might think effective means something different than most of the people in D.C. do. do. Most of the people in D.C. Mean, think effective means sell off your integrity to become one with the machine, to assimilate into the Borg, right? That, their, their definition of effectiveness may not be the same as ours. Can we stipulate to that? Yes. Oh, yes, indeed, in spades. But at some point, you need to be able to do and make happen what you actually believe. Otherwise, again, what is the point? Govern. Yes. I got to thinking today, when was the last time, after I saw this graphic, and maybe you guys can think of it, when was the last time you saw a progressive Republican stand up with one of our own people to champion legislation that moved them to the right as opposed to moved one of our guys to the middle or the left. I mean, nine times out of ten, or maybe nine and point nine 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 or times out of ten, when one of our guys stands up with a John McCain, with a Lindsey Graham, with a Mitch McConnell, 
when one of our guys stands up with one of these guys, it is to do what? Amnesty. To, yes, it's Rubio. <laughs> the gang of eight. It's Rubio. Chuck Schumer is the That's most right. is the blatant example everybody always thinks of because it probably altered the trajectory of this last presidential it election. Did. But we've seen so many of these examples. It's what we've. You know, this is an, This is where Rick Santorum just has got to work with our inspector guys to get to get us John Roberts on the court. Right? Almost always, I was telling a reporter yesterday, Rick Santorum won the Iowa caucuses, even though to this day most Iowans still believe his name is Rick Santorum, who endorsed our inspector. He still can't live it down. They just liked the guy enough to overlook it at the last minute, but he still can't get past that label. I, I, so we're that, that's when was the last time though one of our guys stood up, went arm in arm on national television over a piece of legislation that moved one of them to us. When was the last time that happened? Has it? I don't know. Normally we settle on them just not calling us names, yes. and that's a victory. Nor, and, 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 <laughs> that's and, so and, sad. And, and normally we say as long as it's not like Gang of Eight. Pick some some issue we don't care about to take your one for the team and just get it over with and will not be on Twitter that day so we can all pretend like we didn't see it, right? But this is something we care about. Lindsey Graham's up there on MSNBC debate, standing up for defunding the UN because of their anti-Israel stance with Ted Cruz. That is a win. That's a win. Now, I don't know how Cruz did it. Might not, maybe, maybe he didn't do it at all. Maybe just Graham just thought, I agree with this. Maybe he figured out that sometimes not everything has to be a hammer meeting a nail. And as someone with a similar t- uh, temperament to Ted's, I can speak in a first person of having to learn this lesson at times. I don't know. Maybe it's we rolled snake eyes and and learned that Shakespeare was right once more. Politics makes for strange bedfellows. But I'm telling you right now, and yes, he's my friend, but you've heard me criticize him when I've disagreed in the past. What he what he did today is something we have rarely seen in politics, and that is get one of the machines guys to stand up with us on our issue for a change as opposed to us standing up with them on theirs. Can I play devil's advocate? Sure. When the, all the candidates were coming to Iowa uh, and the questions were asked, it didn't matter what question was asked of Lindsey Graham. He would pivot and try to tell you who he wanted to carpet bomb. So this isn't a bridge too far for him. Has Trump, though, changed the lay of the land that now you can imagine Lindsey Graham joining Ted Cruz on other issues that are a much farther reach? That is a good question. And I'll tell you this. I was at our own legislature yesterday. And we had really an incredible event uh, where a bunch of us as, as key pro-life activists stood up. And at times we've not always gotten along and none of us are blameless in that. Yours truly included, trust me. But we finally decided we're going to bury the hatchet and do what's best for the kids and, and the babies we're trying to save and move forward in unity. And we had this big press conference and a tons of members of the legislature and stuff in there. And, you know, we were joking for women on the air tonight. Kim used to serve in the legislature. Every time I go down there, I feel like a prostitute in church. Like, I don't belong. I'm going to be found out. They're all going to know I'm here, and I'm going to be exposed. It's a all den right? of vipers, usually. <laughs> yes. You know, I can, you can feel it. You, and you, you smell the sulfur, and you're not sure if it's you or them, right? And I have, by the way, I still have several friends down there, and I still feel like this. But the energy level down there yesterday could not have been any different. I mean, it was, in fact, one, a good buddy of mine who is in the legislature came up to me who's usually the one guy who we always need to go to to cause trouble because one of those few we have that will do it because very few will. 
And he's like, I got to tell you, I got people coming up to me wanting to do all kinds of crazy conservative stuff now. It's like everybody's up here in our caucus meetings now. Everybody's trying to out-conservative one another. Everybody, people we couldn't get to do cotton-picking thing in years past. Everybody's, everybody's grown a set now. Every, it's like everybody hit puberty on November the 8th, man. Everybody's voices are deeper. They're shaving now. It's like we're standing up straight. Everybody's got the beer muscles flexing now. So I do think that is a factor. You're right. That is a part of it. Where maybe in the past, and Lindsey Graham said, well, it's not a political hit. We couldn't take it. Can't afford it. You know, so let's not do that. Let me check my buddy John McCain first, because I can't use the two-ply unless McCain says, okay. He might have done that in the past. You're right. The environment had something to do with that. But also give the fact, you know, he could have found another proxy to do this with other than Ted Cruz, too. Recognize that as well. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, that, I hope people took notes on that, because that is something we have not seen a lot of in the past. You're listening to Steve Dace. Reminding you that Almighty God is always a majority. This is Steve Dace. He is, as I like to say when he's been on the show in the past, one of the few GOP consultants I can stomach. Matt McCoviak joins us now. You can also check out his brand new podcast uh, with the Washington Times, MacOnPolitics.com. That's M-A-C-K. MacOnPolitics.com, the latest edition, which I have favorited because I'm going to download this and listen to it later. Former world chess champion Gary Kasparov, who always has a very insightful and brutally honest takes on what's going on uh, in uh, U.S.-Russian uh, relations. So I'm interested to listen to that later. Matt, how are you? I'm doing great, Steve. How about you? I'm doing well. So, so here's why I wanted to have you on the show here tonight. Is, is I wanted to look at the Trump... I wanted to give our audience a, a, a perspective on the Trump transition merely from a political process-based perspective. Yeah. Uh, because I'm going to tackle all the ideological stuff, and I do, I can do some of that stuff. But you're the guy that does this full time, so I want to pick your brain on this, because yeah. you, because you know you can believe as many great you know principled things as you want. If you can't make them happen or pull it off, it's an irrelevant. Uh, you know, you're blogging. So you know how do it, I think it's I think understanding how the success level of the Trump team's ability to to perform and master political theater uh, will go a long way towards the people that listen to shows like mine getting what they want out of this administration for the next four years. You, you, you okay with that assessment? Sure, yeah. I mean, look, I think if you step back and you look at what's happened to election night, there, yes, there's still some things that bother me and the questions we need answered, but for the most part, a lot of this has been fairly encouraging. I mean, I agree with my friends that this is the single most conservative cabinet in my lifetime, even more conservative than Reagan's cabinet in 1981. Now, obviously, you've got to get your cabinet confirmed. It just so happens that Harry Reid, when he was Senate uh, Majority Leader, uh, decided to change the threshold for cabinet nominees from 60 votes to 51 votes. Um, he did that at the time because he thought that a Democrat would, would succeed Obama and, and that would set them up to fill all non-Supreme Court uh, judicial vacancies, and then, of course, uh, uh, cabinet in the future. So, you know, Terry Reid did, did Donald Trump a tremendous favor. He didn't know it at the time, but the, but at the time, a lot of Republicans told him he was going to rue the day that, that he made that decision. 
to use a nuclear option. So really the question is, you know, there's 52 Republican United States senators right now. You need 50 of them plus the vice president. So you can't lose three Republicans if all the Democrats stay united. Basically, Steve, if you look at the cabinet, there's only three or four people that, that the Democrats are really going to fight. Um, obviously, Tillerson, Rex Tillerson, the Secretary of State nominee over Russia issues and other things, uh, will, will be the one that everyone will pay most attention to. Um, there's obviously going to be attention on Betsy DeVos, who's, I think, an inspired choice for education secretary, uh, an education reform warrior in Michigan, um, who is very clear-eyed about what needs to be done. But I don't, you know, I think Tillerson's, to me, in a category all by himself. But I should also mention Jeff Sessions, attorney general. Obviously, they're trying to make him appear to be racist. Um, I think he handled himself pretty well in his, in his co- confirmation hearing earlier this week. So as we, as we sit here, I, I would wager a pretty large amount of money, Steve, that no one is in any danger with the possible exception of Rex Tillerson. <clears throat> and the reason for that is that you already have Rand Paul basically going on record saying he can't vote for Tillerson. You have McCain basically saying the same thing, although for different reasons. And, of course, yesterday you had Senator Mark Rubio from Florida really harshly uh, questioned Tillerson. So Rubio is going to end up being the swing vote. It's going to probably decide if Tillerson, number one, gets out of committee to get to the floor, uh, and then number two uh, ultimately allows them to have the, the, the 50 votes they need plus the vice president to get confirmed. So, look, at the, at the end of the day, this is all about vote counting. I worked in the United States Senate for four years. Um, I never thought I would I would live a day when there wouldn't be a 60-vote threshold for a cabinet secretary. Uh, but it is fairly telling that um, we're not talking about a lot of these people getting, you know, 60, 65, 70 votes. We're talking about them getting somewhere between, you know, 51 and 55. Now, I think Mattis, the Secretary of Defense nominee, is going to get 80 or 82 or 84 votes because he's so impressive. But obviously, this is a big heavy lift for the Trump administration, and they're just now sort of still getting up, up to speed in terms of the transition. There's a lot of work that has to be done. Matt, how much of the, of the low vote thresholds that you think many of these nominees are going to get are political theater on the other side? Meaning, you know, we often look at this from our own vantage point, but the other side has expectations and games and fake AstroTurf groups to clickbait fundraise with, just like we see on our side, unfortunately. And so how much of this is some of their people, like Cory Booker, for example, with Jeff Sessions uh, earlier this week, getting to pretend suddenly a guy that he was thanking God for a few years ago is now a racist because he doesn't have to vote for him. He doesn't have to make that choice because the Republicans have 54 senators and that's enough uh, in order to, uh, to, to get this uh, accomplished without a single Democratic vote. So they get to posture and they get to be the champions for think progress and the, and, and, and the like on their, ba- on their side uh, and pretend to be some champion of leftism because they don't have to make that decision because their numbers aren't needed. How much of that has to do with these votes as well? Yeah, just, just one quick correction. It's 52. 52, thank senators. you. Yep. Yeah, no, that's fine. Because the numbers obviously matter here. 54 would be would be a great situation uh, for them to be in. But you're right. I mean, it, it's not clear yet whether these are real fights over real issues and Democrats are, are you know, really have a chance to, to beat any of these nominees. I, I generally don't think Jeff Sessions or Betsy DeVos or Scott Pruitt, the three that they're going to target, the EPA administrator, are likely to be in any real danger. Now, DeVos and Pruitt have not had their confirmation hearings yet. To my knowledge, they haven't even been scheduled. Uh, so my guess is those will happen in the next 10, 12 days. 
uh, Sessions, again, I thought handled himself really well, and I think he'll end up getting, you know, 52, 53, 54 votes probably. Now, again, the whole ballgame here is Tillerson. you got to remember, Steve, um, a cabinet secretary nominee has not been defeated in a floor vote since 1989 when John Tower, senator from Texas, was defeated for a defense secretary. Now, generally, if someone's in real danger, they withdraw. They have a bad hearing or there's an ethics print thing that comes up or they had a illegal immigrant as a maid or something like that. They just withdraw. So it's a little bit of a false statistic. But it does show you that, that generally, if, if you stick through the process, you get through. And that was with a 60-vote threshold, not with a 51-vote threshold like we have now. So I think Tillerson is the whole ballgame. It's pretty clear the Democrats and the Obama administration and some senior folks in the intel community are, are not just worried about Russia's influence in the United States from a uh, civic institution standpoint. They believe it's crucial, crucial to their own politics and to their own party future. And so they're going to really, I think, try to go after Tillerson and peel away three, four, five votes. With Rand Paul, you could probably get him. Sounds like you might have McCain. To me, the question's going to be, where does Lindsey Graham end up, or where does Marco Rubio end up? If you lose those two votes, you don't have enough to get Tillerson through his Secretary of State. And I'm just telling you right now, if Trump doesn't get his Secretary of State confirmed, I don't know where the administration goes from here. It may not sound like it's a big deal, but he will be a weak president uh, coming out of that if that's what happens. Explain why to our audience. we got about 90 seconds before this first break. Can you do that in about 90 seconds? Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. And the reason for that is, is look, it's, it's not... Unlike- I lied. Apparently we had about 30 seconds. So you get plenty of time to think about it for just a moment. We'll come back. There we go. More with a GOP consultant, Matt Makoviak, looking at the Trump transition purely through uh, a political lens here in a moment. Stay tuned. Listening to Steve Dace. We're not saying that God is on our side. We're just trying to get on his. This is Steve Dace. All right, back here with GOP consultant Matt Makoviak looking at the Trump transition purely through a political lens. And you can check out his brand new podcast that he just started with the Washington Times there in D.C. MacOnPolitics.com. MacOnPolitics.com. That's M-A-C-K is how you spell Mac if you want to download that. Uh, and they're on episode five. And uh, they previously had Jeff Rowe, Ted Cruz's former campaign inv- advisor uh, on the on the podcast. I haven't had a chance to listen to that one yet. But uh, Knowing Jeff as well as I do, I am sure no punches were pulled, whether you wanted to hear it or not. Uh, also, uh, the next one uh, that just was uh, posted today, Gary Kasparov, the uh, Russian uh, chess champion, and he's always got a lot of interesting things to say, whether you agree or disagree, but uh, he will be very blunt on uh, the situation with Russia and the West, so you want to listen to that as well. I want to let you finish the point you were making. You said something that surprised me a little bit, that if Tillerson were not to get through, because I'm not a Tillerson guy, I agree with you that there's several appointments here that are um, that are good for conservatives. I, I, there's a couple I don't like at all. Mnuchin is one. Tillerson is another. Uh, I think having a I think having a Secretary of State that thinks we ought to export uh, homosexual scout leaders and abortion, uh, I, I, you know, throughout the rest of the world sounds Clintonian to me. But but again, we're setting ideology aside for a minute, looking at it just politically. Why yeah. do you think if he were to fail in his confirmation, that would weaken Trump politically? Yeah, it, it, and the answer is that there'd be blood in the water. 
right? If you pick a fight with a new president and you win, um, he will, you know, he will not be in a position to, to, to demonstrate strength and be strong going forward up on the hill. The Demo- it only emboldened the Democrats. Well, if we can beat the Secretary of State, we can beat him in other ways, too. And they're going to think of 10 new ways to go after him. So, you know, generally, again, I mean, you get your cabinet. That's the thing. I mean, like, even if Trump gets his cabinet, that's not even an accomplishment. That's a bare minimum. So, you know, but but again, they're only going to have three or four fights. Most of these now nominees aren't going to be big fights. The question again comes back to Tillerson. And I thought he did well at times yesterday. I thought he did poor a couple things. I, there's still a pretty little bit of a heavy lift there, I think. And I'm, it's not clear what the ultimate result's going to be. I would probably narrowly wager that he's likely to be confirmed. Uh, but boy, it's, it's it's pretty close right now. There's going to be a lot of work to do in the next seven days. All right, let's, I want to play devil's advocate because I've been doing it a lot here on our show since we came back from the new year because I just don't want to become the echo chamber we're always decrying the other side is guilty of. So I'm, I'm making it a habit of asking uncomfortable contrarian questions on purpose just to consider another perspective. And yeah. that is, you know, even Trump skeptics like myself think he ought to, ch- thinks he ought to charge admission for press conferences like the one he had yesterday. Right? I mean, that, <laughs> since, since most of our move, since most of our side seems to be defined by being against the left and not actually for anything, politically, I think these things, just, just him standing up there riffing on these people works for him politically quite a bit. But let's play devil's advocate for a moment, Matt. It, it works right now because he's not making any decisions that will or will not put food on my table. Will or will, will or not, will or will not cause me to say goodbye to a loved one in a uniform, not knowing if they'll come back. Right? He hasn't had to make yep. any make any decisions yet. Do we get to a point where that you know we we become Clara Pellers? If you remember when we were kids, the where's the beef commercials? That hey, this was fun, you know. But when 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 do those jobs you promised us come back? I mean, when when does our standing in the world improve? When when is my free speech? When is that protected again? Is is, is can this possibly be a substitute for results? Or is it one of those things like you, you, you and I are both big sports fans, right? So if you have a lack of, if you have a player who is known for being nonchalant in his demeanor and he sucks, then you think he doesn't have a fire in his belly. But if he's great, you think he's poised and he's, he's compartmented. You know what I'm trying to say? So is there a point where this is all fun and games until you don't give me the results that I want? Or is the power of his personality so overwhelming that it could even transcend poor results? It's a great question. Uh, very well stated. Um, you know, I, look, I think the results are all that matters. Um, and this is one of the interesting things about Trump is that he, I don't even think he necessarily cares how you get to the result. Right. You can take a left turn. You can take a right turn. You can down the middle. You know, you can go underneath. It, he doesn't really seem to care. He's not really kind of down in the weeds on the on the details. Um but I do think, yes, he's going to be judged on results, and that's why the first six months of his administration are crucial. Keep in mind, he's got a few things he can do on his own, effectively, without Democrats. Number one, you're going to have the first day actions on January 20th, repealing the executive orders. That's going to be significant. I think you're going to see the stock market go up because of that. Um, number two, you're going to have the ability to, to repeal at least part of Obamacare through reconciliation, which they're going to do by the end of February. And they're saying they're going to replace it by the end of March. We'll see if that happens. Um, you know, number three, they're going to use the Con- Congressional Review Act to remove regulations that are that are strangling the economy. Those three things are going to have a huge impact on the economy. Now, you go now hold it right there. I want to let you finish that point. We come back. I'm up against another break. More, just a few minutes more with Matt McCoviak, GOP consultant, here in just a moment.
to Steve Dace. This is the show your atheist college professor warned you about. This is Steve Dace. All right, back here on the Steve Dace Show. Just a few more minutes here with Matt Makoviak, GOP consultant, looking at the Trump transition purely through a political means. And again, you get his brand new podcast at the Washington Times, MacOnPolitics.com. That's M-A-C-K, MacOnPolitics.com. We were discussing before we ran out of time there, Matt. I apologize, uh, but... Uh, you know, the, it's great to have Maximus stand in the arena, at, you know, with limbs torn and strewn about and, and scream at us, are you not entertained? But after a while, Rome's trains have got to run on time, right? So the, is the entertainment value, is it a replacement for results? You don't think it is, and you were giving us some areas where in the first six months he could act very quickly, and you were talking next about the economy. Yeah, that's right. And again, I mean, I think, you know, this is going to come down to uh, real job creation, not the, the, the statistics only tell part of the story during the Obama years. But, you know, obviously ending Obamacare is going to be a huge boon to the economy. Uh, getting away from part-time work, getting back to full-time work, bringing the, whatever it is, 93 million people that aren't even looking for work. It's over 95 uh, back, now. 95 Yeah, million. 95 million yeah. back into the workforce. Uh, there's a lot that they got to do, but you're right. Look, I, I'm of the opinion the results are going to matter. Do medium wages go up? Is there a sense that we are headed in the right direction, that we are, if we can use the phrase, making America great again? Um, and and I think that is going to be the key thing, is, is, is are those results happening? And he's going to get almost no help whatsoever from the Democrats. They're, they're against it if he's for it, no matter what it is. And that's where the negotiation uh, part of what he has to offer is going to be interesting to watch. You know, and, and I know you won't want this ideologically, Steve, and I probably won't either, but he might be in a position where he feels he's going to have to package Democratic ideas with Republican ideas to get 60 votes in the Senate legislatively to get uh, to get some actual accomplishments beyond the things we talked about. So you could you could imagine a scenario where he puts in infrastructure with uh, corporate tax reform, you know, for, for example, and that may be the path to get 60 votes. Keep in mind, the Democrats are not in a strong position. They've got 25 Democratic senators up for re-election, 10 of whom are running from states that Trump won in November, four of which he won with over 56 percent. So at some point, they're going to they're gonna be thinking about their own re-election a little bit more than they're thinking about Democratic unity in the Senate. I gave up the ghost we were going to see any form of limited government quite a while ago, Matt. So, you, you, I, I, you know, I, some, some of your kids are great at math and some of them aren't. So when the kid who's great at math brings home an A, you say, great. When the kid who's not great with that brings home a B minus, you say that's really great. That's just the reality of the situation. Um, so before we let you before we let you go, um, give us a grade from 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 November the eighth, the day after the election, to right now, a week from tomorrow, he takes the oath of office. If you yeah. had to grade them on just the politics of their transition, what what grade would you give them? If, if, you're, if the grade is based on their abilities and not the ideal, I would say a B plus. If the, if the grade is, you know, the ideal, I would probably give it like a C plus. Look, I, I just, as you know, I was critical of Trump too, and I had real concerns, and I still have some concerns, but I, I'm generally more encouraged than I was, and that that's coming from a real place. Um, there's still some major policy problems I've got there as a conservative, but I, you know, I'm not going to agree with everything anybody does. 
uh, two people agree on everything. One person's uh, uh, unnecessary. But but obviously, I, look, I think for the most part, look, Trump's politics are unlike anything we've ever seen. He is effectively a third-party president. Yeah. Um, and so we've never seen anything like that. And so I just think given his ability to communicate directly to people with his platform and his ability to be so aggressive and combative, I don't think we know where this thing's going. I think that the tenuous partnership with Republicans on the Hill will last as long as it lasts, but it may not last very long. And that's why I think the first six months are so crucial. He's got to get legislative accomplishments that then also translate into actual results that people feel. And if that happens, he's going to be a strong and popular president who could get reelected. If it doesn't, who knows where it goes from there. Matt, great stuff. Good luck with the podcast. Check it out, MacOnPolitics.com. M-A-C-K is how you spell Mac. Thank you, brother. Appreciate it. Matt McCoviak joining us. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Steve. Take care. You too. All right, let's get some reaction to what we just heard from Matt. Kim, your thoughts on GOP consultant Matt McCoviak analyzing uh, the Trump transition. We're just looking at it from the pure political vantage point. Right. Um, you know, it's interesting. I, I like the focus that he has on um, that it needs results. Results is all that matters. And and I think Todd has said that, too. People are going to want to know what the economy is going to do and how it's really going to translate into their day-in and day-out lives. Um, and then also what you said we are not having a limited government. That is not happening. He's going to be involved in um, the infrastructure. It's going to be a trillion-dollar cost to that. I mean, this is a mixed bag. It's- My advice is just to give up the ghost that you're going to see more limited government. You won't. You will not. And, and, and hope that in the process of him giving away the store to get 60 Democrat votes, he does actually show he has a negotiator, Todd, and get some things that we do care about in the process, like some deregulations, like some uh, some tax relief in exchange for doing what he thinks he has to do to get the 60 votes necessary. My question, after hearing him speak and thinking about things that you've said, why is the conventional wisdom, and set aside the Russia Jones that might be going on right now, why is it the conventional wisdom that Tillerson is going to have the toughest point if he is as progressive as he says? Won't the Democrats let him skate? Why isn't DeVos going to get be the one that just gets hammered? They're going to, don't they have to pick out? That is a great question, and I, I think I can answer it. She will be hammered. She will be, but they, but it will be largely AstroTurf hammering like we saw with Jeff Sessions. They don't, they can't, they don't have the votes to get rid of her. The reason Tillerson's at risk are But the she's na- not experienced. Couldn't they just break her no. in front of the public? No, no, they, they could not. And, and they probably don't want to. Uh, because they're going to raise a lot of money off of her. I mean, when she when when she goes to say we're going to do more for charter schools and home schools, they're going to raise all kinds of money from their own side off of we got to beat back Betsy DeVos. The the issue with Tillerson is transcendent. That's the problem. And you remember we talked about this when his nomination a few weeks ago. When I I predicted a few weeks ago he would be the one that might not get confirmed, provided Democrats attacked him on Russia and not on global warming. If they went to their traditional ideological bent, then they would cause many Republican skeptics who don't like him because of his progressivism, not to mention the Russia stuff, would then cause many Republicans to say, if that's, what, if that's the case we're going to make, I'm, I'm back in my administration. Well, which do they care about more? That, and that's the key. That's what we don't know. See, Tillerson's the guy that has objections that are cross-ideological. If you are an R or a D of certain stripes, you have you have multiple reasons to not like Rex Tillerson. If it, it's it, it could very well be the corporatist ties as well as the Russian ties, and then if you're if you're a conservative, you don't like where, the fact that he's a progressive on uh, politically and the Russian ties. So it really comes to, that's why Rubio questioning him the way he did on Russia yesterday, I thought was so key. We'll talk more about this here in a moment. 
You're listening to Steve Dace. Hunting rhinos into extinction. The Steve Day Show. All right, back here on the Steve Day Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. See, Rubio asking a blunt question like, is Vladimir Putin a war criminal of Tillerson yesterday? Putting him on the spot. Tillerson responding with, well... Uh, I've not seen the intel. And Rubio's like, you know, follow the news. We don't, you know, you know, we have to get the intel to know what's happened in Crimea, the journalists in Russia that have been killed. We don't know anything at all. You're, you're completely unaware of anything that Vladimir Putin is known to have engaged in the last 17 years uh, without looking at the intel. It's not believable, right? So that, I mean, he, what did he say to Bob Menendez yesterday? I'm sorry. Bob, hey, where are the young hookers at Menendez? I forgot to throw in his, uh, his, uh, his, his true name. Uh, what did he say to Menendez yesterday that he has not actually discussed Russian policy with Trump? Has anybody believe that? Anybody? Only people that believe that are called walking dead, all right? No synapses are firing. That, that's just beyond. That's not even. That, that's, that's probably one of the moments Makoviak was saying. And then there were times I thought he didn't do well. I mean, that's just not a believable line. Okay, you got to be you got to be you got to be savvier than that. You doesn't gotta, pass the laugh. No, test. it doesn't. Not you got to come back with sure we have discussed it. We're trying to look at things with an open mind. We're not we we're not privy to all the intel yet. I have my own reservations, you know. But uh, everything everything's on the table. Something like that. But don't pee on us and tell us it's raining. Okay, the idea you guys haven't discussed this yet. Come on, man. Come on. That's just laughably bad. And you would hope someone that's going to take over one of the largest bully pulpits in the world, Secretary of State of the United States, would be more prepared to wield it than when he busted out that gaffe, that laugher. So that's where he's in danger, is there are legitimate concerns on both sides. Where his candidacy will, will, will be decided, I believe, is if the left decides that Russia is the issue. If the left decides Russia is the issue with Tillerson and not climate denial, if the left decides Russia is the issue, then they're going to put guys like Rubio and McCain and Graham, who have been the Republicans, asking some very legitimate questions. And I don't think Tillerson said just about anything yesterday that made you feel better about those reservations from what I saw. He's going to put, he's going to, he's going to, that's going to put them in a difficult spot. I mean, if you're Marco Rubio and you ask a guy on national television if his, one of his best buds is a war criminal, he says, I don't know, and he gives you a flaccid answer, and then you turn around and vote for him for Secretary of State when that's the big issue, right. you, you look really kind of bad, right? But if the Democrats roll with, he's a climate denier, then McCain, Graham, and Rubio and all those guys can have all the political cover they want to take one that's for the team. That's true. They can actually take that vote. That's the key. That, and that's, Todd, why he's in danger. He has a front of he has a, he has a skepticism that transcends the ideological divide that most of the rest of these nominees do not have. Hour two is next. You're listening to Steve Dace.
are now about to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential. Derived from our maker, that is liberty. And liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. And we're back with Hour 2 here at the Steve Day Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. Don't forget, we love to know what you think about what we think. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. That's D-E-A-C-E. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Well, he was one of, um, I, I guess we would say, the uh, the progenitors, uh, the uh, the... The, the founders of uh, the Never Trump movement. And now we are sitting about eight days away from Donald Trump assuming the oath of office for president of the United States. So what's he think about everything that's transpired since November 7th? Eric Erickson joins us now from The Resurgent. And uh, Eric, it's good to have you back on the show, brother. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing very well. So let me start with that sort of big picture question. I had a reporter call me yesterday that was doing a retrospective on, um, uh, on you know Ted Cruz and his campaign and where things go for here with uh, for, from here with him with you know his presidential campaign and absentia sort of you know null and void after Trump's win and all the like and he wanted to ask me about how disappointed I felt you know when it when I realized after Trump won that that had really dampened uh, Cruz's future prospects and. And I, I I said to him, in fact, I'll just disclose who it was. It was Tim Alberto used to be at National Review. He's at Politico now. And I, I said to him, I said, you know, Tim, if you would have asked me this question on November 6th, I, I probably would have given you a better quote. Um, be, also, because none of us thought he was Trump was going to win anyway. But the funny thing is, is all the reservations I have about Trump and frankly, what's transpired since November 7th, Eric has done maybe 50 percent to assuage my fear so at least half of them are all still there uh but (laughs) but but the funny thing is i was shocked you know it's the old c.s lewis line surprised by joy i when i woke up the next morning and he had won i was so gleeful that those folks had lost that i really didn't even think about my own personal ambitions or dreams or wishes or people i liked better it it really did feel like this place had been fumigated, and I was I was mildly surprised by my 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 own personal reaction to that. What about yours? Well, you know, I I went the entire campaign season in a just a, a state of disbelief and and anger that Republicans had committed political suicide by nominating the guy. I mean, I was convinced the polling had been right in the primary; it had to be right in the general. That there's no way he could beat Hillary, and I guess to a degree it was that he lost the popular vote, but. To see him then win on election night, at 2 o'clock in the morning, I was actually at my radio station, went into the newsroom, and reporters were crying. <laughs> and it was at that moment I thought, you know what? Everything's going to be all right. <laughs> it is, there is. I, I really don't like this part of our movement. In, in fact, there is this. I, I tell our audience all the time, what is our movement? Because it seems like we're only defined by we're against the left media. We're against when the left uses the government for their constituencies. What are we objectively for? No one, very few people can actually define that for me. So I hate being sucked into that myself. But that being said, I get it. I mean, we have, we have taken it in the shorts 
from these people with, with the exception of a Mike Lee or a Ted Cruz or a, a Rand Paul or a Marco Rubio every now and then when he's not doing photo ops with Chuck Schumer, actually willing to stand up and, and say point of order. That's not the way this works here in America. Most of the rest right. of these guys we elect are barely speed bumps. It was refreshing to see the other side taste the wrong end of the gun for once, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Um, it was very refreshing to see them humbled in a way I didn't think they were going to be. Uh, and now to see the ongoing meltdown that they they never expected it either, and they can't come to terms with it. I mean, you've got a you've got a group of people in this country who genuinely believe they would never be held accountable again because everyone who counted agreed with them, and those who didn't agree with them were beyond contempt, unworthy of debate, and were able to be silenced and sidelined. And suddenly the people who were silenced and sidelined are now running the country. Exactly. So I've already sort of, I've, I've disclosed, and it's and the reason I say 50%, because on a given day, it is literally day by day, I'm like, all right, this is going better than I thought, and I'm like, oh no, this is pretty much what I thought. You know, so the first week I was like, well, okay, this is going better than I thought. The next week I was like, no, this is what I thought. Then about a week ago, I was like, this is going pretty good again. This week, I'm thinking, yeah, this is pretty much what I was expecting all along. So are, are you helter-skelter, or are you uh, on, are you more sunny side up than me? You know, I still have concerns, too. Uh, and I'm very concerned with the number of Republicans who six months ago were big believers in free markets and free trade, and suddenly today are the greatest defenders of tariffs and protectionism that have ever existed under the sun. Uh, the, the ability of people to so easily abandon their beliefs in the name of the acquisition of power troubles me. Uh, the president of the United States or president-elect going after American businesses uh, because of business decisions uh, troubles me. But his appointments have been very good thus far for most of the positions. Uh, his uh, allowing the Republicans in Congress to lead on Obamacare repeal is doubling down on repeal yesterday. Those are good things. Um I, I think there is something to be said for those of us who were Trump skeptics and critics to give him the benefit of the doubt. We got so much wrong. Let's give him the benefit of the doubt, uh, but be willing to also critique him. Uh, I My biggest concern right now are the number of people who uh, didn't like Trump and are now so willing to suck up to him that they, he can't do anything wrong. He's a right. man and a politician now. He can do things wrong. And Republicans not willing to hold him accountable, uh, they will soon find themselves like they did at the end of George Bush's administration, out of power everywhere. I think that is an excellent point. And I told our audience the next day, I mean, I'm wiping the slate clean because I want them to be right. I want them to be right. I want me to be wrong. The country needs them to be right and for people like you and me to be wrong about this. So I said to me, the control, I hit the control alt delete button. Doesn't mean I'm going to forget everything I thought because unlike most people in our audience, I actually know the guy. So, um, I have some valid reasons for my concerns. Uh, right. I'm not just pontificating from, you know, a dimly lit studio somewhere in the cheap seats. That being said, um, you know, we know what we would have gotten from the other side. And I understand, I'll never understand the cultish aspect around him. I'll never, I'll never, uh, fawn over it. I'll never become a part of it. I, I'm just not a joiner when it comes to cults like that in the first place. Sometimes I would even publicly criticize Cruz campaign strategy just to make sure I hadn't lost myself in my own Cruz fandom to check my own spirit. That's just the kind of guy that I am. Uh, but, but I know millions of our, of our fellow patriots, conservatarians, liberals, 
liberals, conservatives, uh, just progressive skeptics voted this way because they recognized this town needed an enema. We could not afford a third term of Obama. And now that the air is cleared, I certainly understand that a lot. Now I hope and pray that, you know, when you hand a 70-year-old man with his, bag- with his baggage and moral turpitude, more th- authority and power, Eric, t- typically this is what happens if you look at history. 99% of the time, uh, all of those weaknesses come to the surface. They don't go away, and he ends up dragging everybody else down with him. About 1% of the time, he's Winston Churchill, and he gets up one morning and realizes, you know, I really can't be a reprobate anymore. The fate of Western civilization is likely in my hands. So I am praying on a regular basis it's the 1%. Yeah, yeah, you and me both on this front. I am, I, again, I still have concerns about him. I am glad he has surrounded himself with very good people by and large. I very much like and admire Mike Pence, and I, I think he's getting good counsel now. If he continues to act on that good counsel, I think we'll be fine. Uh, if he doesn't, I think he will do to the Republican Party what Barack Obama did to the Democratic Party over eight years, uh, and that is completely decimated around the country. Uh, it is my hope that in the next two years, Republicans will work tirelessly, even if it means sacrificing their majority in Congress, as the Democrats were willing to do in 2009-2010, to put some things in place to protect religious liberty, protect Christians, uh, and protect the, the diverse social mores around the country, uh, so that when the one-size-fits-all progressives go back to Washington, they have a harder time trying to sh- uh, stuff one-size-fits-all immorality down the country's throat. On the other hand, dude could charge admission for these presidential press conferences. Am I lying? Oh, my gosh. I, I went on Amazon yesterday and priced out a movie theater popcorn machine because <laughs> I may need one for these press conferences. I'm, it was amazing. I, I posted on Twitter yesterday, if he drops a you mad bro at somebody in the press, I'm going to retroactively go back and see if I can change my ballot and vote for him. It is it is high comedy to watch this take place. And and the one great the one saving grace of a Trump presidency, even if every fear we once had manifests itself in the next four years, the one saving grace of a Trump presidency, Eric, is that it will extract harsh public and humiliating judgment upon all of those who are primarily responsible for it in the first place. Absolutely. Hey, listen, I think CNN got a bum rap yesterday in the press conference. I, I Jim Acosta is a, a friend and a good reporter. Uh, and I think CNN's report was fair, and they got lumped in with BuzzFeed. But to see the media meltdown over Trump treating CNN like that, when none of them ever complained when Obama treated exactly Trump like that, yep. is just amazing. It is. Hold your thought right there. Up against a break. Back here in just a second with Eric Erickson of The Resurgent here on The Steve Day Show in a moment. You're listening to Steve Dace. Don't blame us. He went to public school. This is Steve Dace. All right, back here with Eric Erickson of The Resurgence here on The Steve Dace Show, powered by Conservative Review. One thing I, I want to get your take on as well, Eric, from the conversation I had with uh, the, Tim Alberta from Politico yesterday is he was asking me about, uh, you know, what somebody like a, I would advise somebody like a Ted Cruz to do now in a Trump administration. Should he be a bootlicker? Should he be the loyal opposition, et cetera? And I said, you know, if I were in his Senate office advising him or anybody like him, for, for that matter, 
um, or anybody of a similar temperament or ideology, what I would do is tell them, you know, the poker game hasn't even started yet. I mean, this is the first hand, really. We're just anteing up at the table. The, the, we, we know who Paul Ryan is, Ted Cruz is, Rand Paul is, Mitch McConnell is. Paul, we know who these people are, for better or for worse. They have records. We've seen them perform in Washington. What we really don't know is who Donald Trump is. He's the new, he's the, he's the new catalyst here in, in the equation. He's the unstable element. And what we don't know is, you know, like we saw him on the office of uh, the abandoning of the office of uh, ethics. And we saw him go to his Twitter account to to lean on that. And the next morning, the Republicans, along with all the heat they got from constituents, decided to go back on that. On the other hand, you mentioned he's kind of letting Congress lead the way on the repeal of Obamacare. What we what we don't know yet is if he's going to be a bull in a china shop and use his bully pulpit to put his thumbprint on Congress to get them to do what he wants or if he's inclined to just go out, do more rallies, accept hosannas, have fun at press conferences, bearing media entities doesn't like, and, and sort of lets and delegates a lot of this authority to members of Congress or his administration. We don't know that yet because which of those two he is, more of a leader or more of a follower slash showman, would probably determine how, if you were a member like Ted Cruz in Congress, you would behave. What's your take on that? You know, I think you're right on that, and I would go to the model of Jesse Helms for anyone like a, a Ted Ted Cruz or a Mike Lee or a Rand Paul or a Marco Rubio even, that Jesse Helms, when Ronald Reagan was president, uh, was the guy who was constantly making sure Reagan was pushed to the right on foreign policy and domestic policy. Reagan surrounded himself with a battling cabinet where Half were conservative and half were more moderate. Nancy Reagan favored the moderates. Ronald Reagan favored the conservatives, and they would battle it out over ideas. And Helms was the guy in the Senate to make sure that his thumb was on the scale for the conservatives in the cabinet so their agenda would win out, even if slightly, moving more and more incrementally to the right. Uh, and I think that's the role that guys like Cruz and, and Rubio and Mike Lee can serve. I, I think it's deeply unhelpful in that regard that Rand Paul planted his flag in the you have to have replaced immediately with repeal nonsense. Uh, that essentially undermines the repeal effort to try to do that, I see. Uh, and Cruz and, and Mike Lee in particular can be the vanguard of moving Trump to the right, if only through obstruction in the Senate. So this morning, uh, Ted Cruz appears on MSNBC with Lindsey Graham in a joint appearance. Now, in any context in the last three years, if this had happened, you and I would probably have to race each other to the medicine cabinet for an an acid acid reflux uh, tablet or 10. You know, but when I first started in this a decade ago, I really believed in this faction stuff until I got uh, connected to it. And found out I couldn't trust half the people leading my so-called faction. Okay, and and I've really just come down on, in the last in four or five years. My my thinking on this is totally altered. Which is, I really don't care who you are if you're going to do what I think is right. That's all I really care about. I don't care about this faction, that faction. I don't trust really most of the people running most of these factions, frankly. And I think you saw a lot of that play out in this last election, unfortunately. So it, what I think is yeah. interesting about this is Cruz is doing this with normally we'd see a guy like Cruz doing an appearance with Lindsey Graham. It's because he evolved on some big government thing. Right. In this mm-hmm. case, it's Lindsey Graham coming with Ted Cruz to defund the U.N. to do something we would actually like to do. That makes this a little bit different than in the past when we've seen these sorts of motley partnerships, if you ask me. 
I, I think you're right. And, you know, for all of my distrust of Lindsey Graham on, on a number of issues, there are some issues he's absolutely right on. Uh, Russian skepticism is one. The U.N. skepticism is another. Uh, a strident tone against ISIS is another. And where these coalitions can be built, I think, will be good. I, I think that conservatives are somehow under the impression now that they're in charge, and they're not. They have a feeling of being in charge, but many people in Trump land are not ideologically conservative. In fact, they've been ideologically Democrat for a long time. So I think conservatives are going to have to work to build coalitions within Trump land, and they're going to have to work to build coalitions in Congress when Trump goes off on a tangent in order to bring people back to the, the right way of doing things. And if Ted Cruz can build coalitions with Lindsey Graham and John McCain to do the right thing on occasion, God bless him. If he can somehow refrain, restrain them from doing the stupid stuff they're prone to do, God bless him. Where are you the most optimistic right now? Where are you the most pessimistic right now? I am most optimistic on the Supreme Court. I am least optimistic on the economy. Uh, and I, having a strong man in Washington is the antithesis of conservatism. Uh, having the president bully Fortune 500 companies on Twitter is the antithesis of being a conservative. Mm -hmm. Having the president want tariffs is the antithesis of conservatism. Uh, and I think Republicans risk losing their way on trade and, frankly, opening the door to the resurgence of conservative Democrats, who Obama largely drove into extinction, uh, if they mess up free trade. Tariffs and a trade war are going to devastate the economy. There isn't an economist on the left or right to dispute that. And hearing Trump supporters say, well, we're in a new age, um, that doesn't mean that the laws of gravity and economy suddenly go away. Final question. i got about uh, two minutes here. Um, this Russian thing. And removing the salacious details, and yesterday NBC came out with a report that seemed to completely undermine what Jake Tapper reported, which BuzzFeed had already sort of undermined with their own antics to begin with. And then last night, James Clapper issues a, from the deputy or director of national intelligence issues a statement that seems to confirm the Clapper report originally. Now there's a story from the BBC that the, the British intelligence agent that was the source of these dossiers has actually been used as a credible FBI informant here domestically in the past. What is your read? on where this story is ultimately going to go and how much of this is just leaking in an attempt to undermine a Trump presidency before it starts? I think the BuzzFeed report is designed to undermine Trump. I think CNN and NBC did legitimate reporting and there is legitimate concern and we should all be wary of the Russians. They are not our friends. And I think that Donald Trump doesn't appreciate that. Uh, that being said, kudos to Jake Tapper for pointing out on CNN with a Democrat who clearly hated the question that the entire reason the Russians are doing what they're doing and able to do what they're doing is because of failures of the Obama administration. And if Trump does have Vladimir Putin's respect and does play a strong role in rebuilding relations around the world, then I do think there will be less of that. And I do agree with Trump. It is not a bad thing. To have good relations with the Russians as long as we understand we have divergent interests. Hmm. Eric, it's always good to talk to you, brother. You do good work. Really appreciate it. Tell our audience quickly before we go what you guys do there at the Resurgent and why they should check it out. You know, we're really 
dedicated to grassroots conservative activism, particularly now in the age of Trump, where so many people want to redefine conservatism. We're traditional evangelical Christian conservatives. And what does that mean in the age of Trump? That's what we're writing about. TheResurgent.com is the website. Eric, we'll do it again, brother. God bless. Take care. Take we'll, care. We'll have some reaction to what you just heard from Eric Erickson here in a moment. You're listening to Steve Dace. No other show sounds like him, because no other show would dare. This is Steve Dace. All right, back here on the Steve Dace Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. Let's get some uh, quick reaction to what we just heard from Eric Erickson. Talking about uh, where he is, optimistic, pessimistic, uh, his view uh, as we head into a Trump presidency as uh, as maybe the founder uh, of the of the Never Trump movement. What did he say that stood out to you? Kim, I'll start with you. Yeah, um, for me, it was that he was the um, the least optimistic with regard to the economy. And he picked up an, an area that bothers me, and that is bullying the companies on Twitter. And, um, and I had said about this earlier in the week that I don't like the idea that he is creating these um, buy-sell moments in the market and a manipulation excuse me, a manipulation of the market. And um, right now I'm looking to see what's going to happen with General Motors because that was another one that he talked about. He also went after um, uh, Big Pharma, he called it. So it's going to be very interesting, and that is something that concerns me. I think, you know, this is an instance where there's going to be some people who who live in rural areas across the country who have seen their economies, uh, their their economies of scale, their micro economies in those communities devastated by losses of jobs from the kinds of companies we're talking about, right? Right. And they're going to cheer this, and I understand that. The problem that I'm guessing you probably have with this is the old "it ain't no fun when the rabbit's got the gun" principle. One day, a pharaoh, I, I like to call it what happens when a pharaoh rises who knows not Joseph. Whenever I go into a contract negotiation with somebody that I know, that I have a personal relationship with, right? And it's like, well, we know each other. We know what we're going to do. Let's just get this over with, make it as bland and as simple as possible. It just needs to be one page. I'm always the one that stands up and says, but what happens if something happens to you or me and a pharaoh arises who knows not Joseph, if you know the biblical reference? Yes. All right, and they come in and maybe they take a look at some of these things and see them a little bit differently because it's kind of bland and it's open for interpretation. And he is altering the deal. Darth Vader pray doesn't alter it any further, right? So uh, my concern is, okay, when the, when the Democrats finally decide, let's go get our own, you know, celebrity megalomaniac out that's a, that's a so-called outsider to run, and and he ends up, you know, winning one day because Republicans don't win them all. We've learned that. What happens when they use this precedent for their? Uh, for their side of the aisle, for their schemes and for their devices. Is that what you're concerned about, the precedent I, being set? Well, both doing it wrong now and the precedent that it sends, right? And the other thing is, this actually was something that Obama actually said that I, I agreed with in his farewell, is that, you know, it's great that we're having, um, you know, for example, um, Chrysler coming back and expanding because I can't wait for the Jeep Wagoneer. But um, they have to understand that it might not be a lot of jobs because you're going to have um, better equipped manufacturing right so it's not necessarily going to translate not like to mention automation and things yes. of that nature right todd what about you what stood out to you about this conversation 
I'm with him when he said most pessimistic about the economy because for non-ideologues, the most important thing, and I said this weeks ago, that Trump has to do is get money in people's pockets as quickly as possible. Fast, uh, robust action on regulation, getting rid of Obamacare. They, most people don't think philosophically about this. They need to feel I had it. noticed. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, so, go ahead. Toward that end, though, I think <laughs> in the future uh, it would behoove you because what he said about tariffs, people don't know what tariffs are anymore. And while a tariff back in the founding of our country is, yes, the same thing as it is now, the economy is is so much different now. We're not... You yeah, people like to say, well, you know, we funded the government on, on customs and duties and tariffs, you know, for 100 years. Well, we didn't have an income tax, guys. Right. We didn't have a Federal Reserve, guys. We didn't have deficit spending, guys. We didn't have excise taxes on, on gasoline and cigarettes and things of that nature, guys. That's not what we had. We didn't have confiscatory taxation. You didn't. You didn't go to work at the mill, as a blacksmith, or at the at the local market, or as a farmhand or a ranch hand, or or if if you were a, a, an apprentice or of a skilled laborer or a skilled laborer himself, or you were you were a, a, a pastor or a doctor or a teacher. You didn't then get your pay. You didn't get your income, your pay for your work, and realize there wasn't a net and a gross line, guys. It's a totally different economy. It's similar to the arguments, well, you know, George Washington told us to stay out of foreign entanglement. So, yeah. Well, that sounds great. But in George Washington's day, there weren't ICBM missiles that could go across the Pacific and Atlantic Oceans. You can't have a 17th, pardon me, you can't have a 17th or 18th century foreign policy with 21st century technology. It's not realistic. You're feeling me. Yeah, and that's the same thing you're saying about this. That's it. So, yeah, if, if you were telling me we were going to get rid of all the stuff I just mentioned and go back to that original model, we could manage that. But we can't do both. If you imply these tariffs on top of what we already have, all you're going to do is make life even harder for the very sort of middle class people that voted for Donald Trump in the first place. Everything you will go buy at Target and Walmart will be uh, that's where you will pay that tax. They won't pay it. You will. You're listening to Steve Dace. We opine, you decide. You're listening to Steve Dace. Back here on the Steve Day Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. You know, it was almost exactly a year ago, I was sitting in a posh hotel ballroom in Santa Barbara, California, because Salem paid for it. Uh, and they brought in uh, a young man uh, to uh, drop some knowledge on us. And I was impressed uh, with his intellect and ability to address what was going on in the contemporary culture from a biblical worldview standpoint. I said, you know, one day I'm going to get that young man on this radio show. Today is that day. Owen Strain is now here with us. He is from the Center for Theological and Cultural Engagement at Midwestern Baptist Seminary. And Owen, it's good to have you back here on the Steve Day Show. How are you? I'm great, Steve. It's great to be back with you, man. 
Hey, I want to address one subject with you explicitly from a theological perspective that is at the forefront of a public policy debate today. Because one of the things I've been trying to say to our audience uh, since we started this show 14 months ago is we are we have reached an existential crossroads as a people where what I do for a living has got to be more about how much the jobs report sucks or how good it is and widgets and uh, and and you know garbage in garbage out that that we're going to have to come up with. Uh, a level of argumentation to make our point beyond, well, that's just common sense and that's just good old uh, American morality. I don't think that's sufficient anymore. And you, and you see that in the gender debate and battle, Owen. What is at the heart of what I, what I call tranny madness? Yeah, I mean, what we've got to realize is that this gender battle is actually not just over, you know, what you want to wear to work on a Tuesday morning or something. It's actually over the very nature of human identity. We're, we're in a massive identity crisis as a culture and a society, and people today think, basically, that they may have certain anatomical parts, but they, they have this thing called a gender identity that may or may not match up with those anatomical parts. If that's the case, then as we've seen in recent years in our culture and society, they feel free to embrace what's called a transgender identity and even to undergo, you know, sorts of uh, different drug therapy and so on, surgery to transition, it's called, into a different uh, gender identity. And so we've got to recognize that people all around us are profoundly confused about what it means to be human, and we need to go back to the basics, Steve, because the basics are actually where we learn who we are as a human being at the most elemental level. What are those basics, Owen? The basics uh, of our human identity are that we are made in the image of God. Uh, we We are born for transcendence. We are not made just for this world. And so we've got to recognize that there's something greater uh, than, than just what we see in front of us. We've got to recognize that our manhood and our womanhood is not a problem for us. It's a gift. It's something that tells us a key part of who we are as individuals. Um, you know, when you, when you lock these things into place, you recognize that you're, you're going to be in a cultural conversation and not everybody's going to agree with you, but you're going to be in a much better footing to, to make a case for, for human identity that is, that is not going to slip away with every trend of culture. Really, this debate is just, in my view, and you tell me if, I, if I'm wrong, but, but to me, this debate is really just the next front in what is the key, the key moral debate of our age. And I think this is, the, this is at the center of the, of the sanctity of life debate, the marriage debate, all of the debates. And that is, d- because I have these desires and feelings, does that make them true? Is there any other plumb line or standard by which... I would interpret when my desires and feelings are to be acted upon or are to be rejected. That is that really the debate here? Yeah, I mean, what I would say is this. I would frame it this way. We are fundamentally in a clash of worldviews that's much deeper than any kind of public policy issue or even cultural issue like transgender. And the fundamental reality I see is a battle, as I say, of worldviews. Worldview that is really uh, becoming hot in American life today is what we could call, and some have called, expressive individualism. With an expressive individualist mindset, I make up my identity. I compose the different parts that I want to be part of who I am, and then I present that to the world. And and if that changes, or if I want to tweak things, then I can. So, for example, uh, I might expressively feel like, yeah, I want to be in a marriage relationship. Uh, but then, you know, a year later, two years later, that's not doing it for me, and so I'm done, I'm out of it. That contrasts with uh, what you could call a Judeo-Christian worldview, or even just a worldview that, that owes to things like duty, 
and uh, and virtue and responsibility and uh, loving institutions that have been created and made that are bigger than you, actually, that you fit into. So really, Steve, when we're talking about these matters like transgender, we've got to frame it in those kind of terms, expressive individualism uh, versus a kind of virtue-driven ethic, an institution-friendly ethic. And we've got to recognize that we're going to be in this conversation over and over again because people all around us think that the fundamental way they live as a human being is to express themselves however they, they see fit. They think, they think authenticity is the highest virtue. They think it's, it's the best possible thing to be true to who I am and my desires at any given moment. And here's the deal. You and I know that our desires are not trustworthy. They ebb and flow, and we need something better than to be captive to who we think we are at any given moment. We need mm-hmm. institutions to shape us. We need transcendence to shape us. We need virtue to shape us. Well, and this begins from the very from the very genesis of this worldview clash. The progressive view is human nature is basically good. The Christian view is human nature is not basically good. It, it, it ranges anywhere from totally depraved to unable to act good on its own with, without some form of external uh, stimulus or regeneration, depending on where you rank on that theological meter on that side of the debate. debate. But that seems to be the dividing line, because if human nature is basically good, then who are yeah. you to tell me that my desires and, and actualization at the time shouldn't be actualized, Owen? Well, I think that's hugely important. Um, basically, we've seen the loss of any kind of doctrine of evil or doctrine of sin in American public and cultural life. You know, you think about 60 years ago with Reinhold Niebuhr, for example, the famous Union Seminary theologian. He was no conservative. He was no Bible Belt uh, thinker. But he was a guy who retained enough belief in historic Protestantism to actually continue to teach in public that there is such a thing as sin, and he applied it even to foreign policy, for example. That's where he really becomes famous in that regard. We don't really have anybody in the public square. I mean, there, there, are, there are key figures you and I know and are very thankful for who sell this kind of note, but there aren't any kind of folks uh, at, at the highest levels of American public and cultural life who are getting a lot of traction for promoting a doctrine of depravity, a doctrine of sin, and mm-hmm. that is what is desperately missing. In all of these conversations, you bet. we sadly are all shot through with, with sin, and, and we need something greater than ourselves to help us. But that's not what we hear. That's not what we hear today. Owen Strain, Center for Theological and Cultural Engagement, Midwestern Baptist Seminary. Thanks, Owen. Back in a moment. You're listening to Steve Dace. The Bible and the Constitution don't just apply to Democrats. This is Steve Dace. Some follow-up thoughts on the conversation we just had with Owen Strain from the Center for Theological and Cultural Engagement at Midwestern Baptist Seminary. I want to make sure I I clarify something, Kim and uh, Todd, I was saying at the top of our conversation with, with Owen. There are certainly common sense and scientific based arguments, numerous, to make in defense of of, of, of rightness in this case. For example, you can get all the gender assign, reassignment surgery that you would like. You, like. you can get it assigned, reassigned, assigned, and reassigned again. Your chromosomes aren't going to change. That, that's, that's, that's not going to change. Your, your genes, your genetics, trump your desires. That's just simple science. You're, you, you're, that doesn't change. You, you cannot change the framework, the makeup, the essence of who you are 
no matter how much external surgery you perform. That, that does not change. We should assert that, for example. We should assert that whenever we possibly can. It's common sense that men can't have kids. So there's never been a transgendered man who's had a child because men can't have children. So the minute men can have child is in a sentence in any context should be mocked and rejected. We should be doing that. Absolutely. That's how we get control of the language in debates like this. However, I don't believe those arguments. I, I, I think they have a place. I think they're not sufficient. They are, they, are, they are useful. They are useful in asserting our point in a punchy, cheeky manner, particularly in today's um, 140 characters or less environment of communication. They are useful arguments, but they are not sufficient in winning the argument because you're dealing with a soul that is damaged. Where does a person have to go? Where does their, what, what condition does a person's soul have to be in? for them to deny the common sense of what I just asserted and assert what is clearly and easily refutable as fantasy, if not psychosis, as a new reality. And the, and, and the, the common sense arguments and science-based arguments, while useful, are not an antidote for, for, how, for the damage a soul finds itself in in these situations. And there's only one antidote to the soul that I know of, and that's the soul maker. And that is why, Todd, I think we're going to have to be equipped to be more explicitly theological in how we ultimately try to win these arguments. I was having a conversation along these lines with my seventh grade uh, catechism class that I teach last night, the nature of sin, the nature of reality. We talked about gravity. You, you know, you can't jump out a window and start flying just because you want to. And, you know, I'm overcome with a sense of sadness as I'm having that discussion last night because, you know, the future cannot look bright if you have to have these kinds of conversations. We are just incredibly broken. Well, I remember a time when I thought the Ten Commandments, for example, was God's way of trying to keep me from having fun. Sure. You know, no, it's for my protection. And so I look at, you know, we look at people that are confused like this and that are using this expressive individuality to hurt themselves and we have to handle it with compassion and yet give them those answers of God's best for them. Well said. More in a moment. You're listening to Steve Dace. You are now about to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential, derived from our maker. That is liberty, and liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. And we're back with Hour 3 of the Steve Dace Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. As always, we love to know what you think about what we think. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Coming up at the bottom of the hour, we're going to play our little weekly game of buy, sell, or hold. But first, it's time for three questions. We all have questions. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? Who am I? A search and a question of identity. Why am I here? A question of meaning and purpose. Where am I going? Question of destiny. 
some better than others. What sort of morality or proto-morality would you expect to find in a chimpanzee troop? Injecting some levity into the demise of Western civilization. It's three questions on the Steve Day Show. That time of the night when, well, tonight it's not Aaron because he's on day four of the Harry Potter Hodge. But it is that time of the night when his more than capable villain, Kim, gets to turn the tables on us. She gets to ask the questions around here. She can ask us anything she wants. There is nothing that is off limits, but she has to answer the same questions herself. Kim, it is your three questions. Awesome. Okay, the first question, um, you know, I want to talk about family dynamics. So when you're growing up, and we all have siblings, what was your role? It's not like, you know, your parents said, okay, your job is this or that. It's more like, what did you kind of start to do? I mean, it just this was your job in the family. You did what? Uh, growing up, um, both my uh, uh, parents in the home worked full-time. So uh, especially in the summertime, uh, in and around when I had sports, um, I mean, I was home with my little brother who was five years younger than me all day long. So, I mean, we were expected to make sure that chores around the house were done, dishes were done, you know, lawn was mowed. Um, you know, I made sure, I mean, I knew when he went to his friends and those, and, and you know, where he was at. So when my parents got home, they were... You know, hey, where's your brother? So I, I basically was his steward a lot, uh, from the time I was 12 or 13 years old through, um, ha- you know, well into high school until he was old enough to kind of keep an eye on himself. Is is there is there a reason behind asking this question, or are you just genuinely curious? Just curious. Oh, okay. Peering deep into our souls. Steve. Yeah, I'm just wondering to what end. I'm, I'm just. <laughs> if I, I don't mind being set up. I just want to know if I. No, am. you're not being okay. set up. All right, Todd. Uh, well, my my mom was the best human being uh, I've ever known. She's been gone for 15, like almost 15 years now. But she didn't have much in the way of rules. She was never stern. She just was kindness through and through. The expectation, I don't know, the, when, when you went cross with her, it was when you were fighting with your brother and sister, and it just got beyond normal. And she it, when she gave you the, you know, you are brothers and sisters and if another parent maybe said it it might oh yeah okay you're just giving me the boy over your plate it meant something from her so i was the oldest of three children uh, so it's something along the line of what steve said uh that expectation that uh i had a charge to keep to um be an example for my younger brother and sister i wish i was a good enough kid that the mere notion of disappointing my parents Right. Was enough. That's beautiful. I would have walked with fewer limps if that were the case. Kim? <laughs> For me, um, I'm, I'm not the oldest. Um, I'm the second of four. My job was to say the hard things. To do the thing, because my dad worked all the time. He worked on the railroad. This is not my shocked face for those of you who can't see me on the radio. <laughs> so, you know, if the neighbor is, um, you know, plugging his um, extension cord into our electricity, my job is to go over and go, hey, What's up with this? Why are you doing this? Have you asked my parents if this is okay? See, one of the reasons that I walked with a limp, and not just because I had an abusive stepdad, there were times I was deserving of said limp. One of the reasons that I had uh, that uh, limp at times is because I appointed myself uh, to a similar position, uh, Kim, as, as you have been, you were awarded in your home. Right. I appointed myself to this position, and there weren't self-appointments to that position in my home growing up. <laughs> well, and, and plus, 
I was actually rewarded for it because there was a vacuum and, and then I can't stand if someone, you know, there's something that needs to be done and no one stepped forward and then you're like, oh, well, fine, I guess I'll say it. Steve, I've determined this week that we need to do a biopic on Kim's young life. You know, she's <laughs> she's scolding adult neighbors, kissing on monkey bars, getting free cars. I mean, this is gold. Tomorrow right. she's going to tell us she brought a bird back to life once. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, moving right along. <laughs> the second one is you're you're all athletic, right? I mean, you played sports and one, and you continue at to one play time sports, in my right? life. Yes. Well, and you you're continuing to be. I I could very I could play and, at a limited level now. Yes. Right. Have you broke anything? No. Um, wow. I, I've never I never have had I never had a broken bone. Uh, I had three injuries in sports. I had a kid step on. We were in the Little League uh, World Series. Not the Little League World Series, I guess. Little League Championship of mine, local Little League in Michigan. Uh, when I was a kid and I was playing first base and a kid stepped on my foot as I was turning and uh, was the sprain, the, it was so bad that uh, I couldn't walk off the field. But, the, but it was a best out of three in game three. was two days later. So I found, and I was one of the better hitters on my team. So I figured it's first base. I don't have to run a lot. I just got to kind of waddle over there. And, I, and, and I, don't need to, I don't need to you know run fast to hit the ball hard. So I wanted to play in that game. And then I found out... To, uh, a few months later, when it didn't recover all the way, and we did, a, you know, we did some other X-rays and follow-ups of the second physician, that it was a fracture that didn't heal properly. So there was that. There was a uh, uh, there was a time that playing basketball when I shattered a uh, uh, there's a there's some kind of ligament down there that's not really all that important, I guess. Sort of like the tonsils of ligaments. Uh, and it shattered on me, but I didn't require surgery. It just took a week to bind up and, you know, and rehab a week or two. Well, maybe more like a month or two now I think about it. And then there was an injury in football when I wasn't wearing a cup and I was blindsided that if I, I that, you know, I'm not bashful. I don't have a problem saying what it is, but it, it, it might really upset numerous members of our audience for me to describe Let's just say that things are supposed to twist in a certain orbit, not in an opposite orbit, and that occurred and required uh, a surgery that took me out of, uh, I think it was eighth or ninth grade football for the rest of the season, and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks to rehab. My mom was worried I would never be able to have kids when I got older and stuff, but obviously I've got three of them, so everything turned out okay. The moral of that story is, boys... When they tell you to wear your cup and you're like, this thing is uncomfortable, I'm not big enough to wear this thing yet, you don't know when some kid who's going to be a future fullback on the Michigan State football team is going to, as a, is going to blindside you, all right, and you're going to land improperly, risking the, risking the future manhood of your life in the process. So put the cup on. My nose and my hand in both in ridiculous ways. The nose playing uh, street hockey with my buddies. One of the buddies' little brother or sister was on their big wheel and came flying down the driveway while we were playing street hockey, took my feet out, and I landed on my face. The hand, it was in <laughs> gym class when we were a freshman in high school, and it was the gymnastics um, segment. Right. And I was on the balance beam doing a cartwheel, and I did it, but like my heel just kind of kicked out at the last second, and I put my hand down to brace myself, which landed on the beam, and then I sat on my hand and snapped. Wow. There it is. Those are kind of fun. Um, for me, it would be, um, I played basketball. Um, I'm 5'8", and so for some people that's tall, but it really isn't because I was catching a lot of elbows. I mean, you don't get this nose naturally. Did you wear goggles? No. 
now. But I've, you know, broken my nose maybe five times. Um, wow. And, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's the profile. Um, and then um, a wrist. And, um, and I think this last time I was in Montana, I think I cracked a rib. But, okay, so the last question is current. What TV series are you binge watching now? Um, uh, I'm trying to think if I've been wa- binge watching anything now. I, I I only binge watched one series when I was home for Christmas break on a recommendation um, because it, of the spiritual elements that were included in it. I binge watched the first season of True Crime. Right. Uh, or is it True Detective? I can't True, detect- True, True Detective. Detective. That's yeah. what it's called. Okay. True Detective with Matthew McConaughey and Woody Harrelson. Um. And I would say about half the episodes I ended up fast forwarding through because it was just overtly gratuitous or nihilistic for no purpose. I found it to be at times interesting, profound, uh, it, but also at times grating because both the, both main characters are extremely well acted. I just couldn't stand either one of them for for different reasons, obviously. Um, one is likable, but a complete knuckle dragger. The other one, uh, has some form of virtue attached to him, but is, a, a, a basically a nihilistic, uh, God hater. So that would probably be the last one I, on deck is season two of man in the high castle. I just haven't gotten to it yet. Todd Westworld just got done with it. I, our audience should approach it with extreme caution, but there's some very interesting Christian discussions we had after you watch it. And mine's bloodline. What is bloodline? It's a you know it's a family uh, drama down in set in Florida. Right. Never heard of it. We'll come back with uh, the nightly buzz next. You're listening to Steve Dace. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Day Show. This is Steve Dace. And now for something completely different. We need to have a talk about an excursus. On natural theology. I prefer metaphysics to theology. See, there's no guilt in baseball. What in the wide, wide world of sports is going on here? Can we talk about something else? Certain aspects of his culture may seem absurd, perhaps even offensive. We have cut the culture crap and get to the hotel. We gotta get some buzz going. Back here on the Steve Day Show, this is the Nightly Buzz, where we go back and take a look at some of the headlines we missed from earlier in the show that are worthy of commenting upon. Via what's trending on social media or at the uh, water cooler where you work, we've got the headlines as well as the hot takes. Found this story fascinating. Zechariah fourteen nine is a Bible verse that doesn't necessarily show up often on lists of favorites. In fact, I thought the Babylon Bee did another killer story yesterday when they did a parody. Their parody lead parody story yesterday was ancient ancient manuscripts oh, I show. Saw this. Je- the only verse in Jeremiah is twenty nine eleven, <laughs> for I know the plans I have for you, plans not to harm you, but to give you hope, plans to prosper you, give you a future, right? Because that's in the midst of this terrible lamentation and judgment that's coming down on the Jewish people for their betrayal of, uh, they're turning their back on God and, and, the, and the law. And, but, we, but, but, but Christians have a tendency to take that verse totally out of context, particularly every May and June during graduation time, and slap it on every graduation card, even though it's, it's completely misappropriated. So they were, they, were, they were joking with that, and I, I thought that was fun. It's on needlepoint on everybody's yes, walls. Yes, yes. Uh, that the, by the way, Zechariah 14.9 says, The Lord will be king over the whole earth. On that day there will be one Lord, and his name the only name. 
last year, those words of Zechariah showed up as the top version or the top verse on version. If you don't have that app, it's a great Bible app, by the way. Maybe it's the best I've seen. I use it for my, that's my own Bible. I don't carry one around. It's just version on my iPad. Okay. Uh, that one had the most highlights, bookmarks, and shares in two countries with little in common. People in Israel and Afghanistan showed that as the top verse that they shared last year on the Version Bible app. But they weren't alone. So did those who lived in France, Finland, Sweden, Guadalupe, Belgium, Martinique, and Cyprus. Overall, the world's favorite Bible verse in 2016 was my own, actually. Romans 8.28, and we know that in all things God works for the good for those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. It was highlighted, shared, and bookmarked more than any, ver- any verse by Uversion's ver- uh, users. And Uversion, by the way, has been installed as a Bible app 250 million, on, on 250 million unique devices. So this has every translation, every language, everything imaginable. It's got commentaries. It's a fantastic app. I couldn't recommend it highly enough. Um, your thoughts on that Bible verse being one of the leading trending verses in several countries that don't have a lot, at least on the surface, culturally in common with one another, Todd. So we're talking Zechariah. Yes. Uh, well, kingship, that's encouraging. It's not, it's not what I uh, would have expected. It, the world being as tumultuous as it is, I, w- I would have expected something a little bit more edgy, a little bit more prone to judgment uh, than lordship. But it, You're so Catholic. You're, thank you. You're, you're, <laughs> I know that you would take that as a compliment. Your assumption that people would go looking for guilt, they would go looking for it. I love that you about you. You, do, you. you don't have to <laughs> look for that. it. It's everywhere. We're what oozing you, guilt. What do you mean you're not lamenting the same things that I am? Kim, your th- oh, I'm sorry. Did I, did, don't let me spoil your thought. Please oh, finish. No, I'm no, enjoying no, it. You, you told me I was a great Catholic. Let's move on. <laughs> he wants to stop there, Kim. I think it gives people incredible comfort in the time of you know what we're going on across the country, the fact or the world, the fact that we have so much, um, so many problems in the Middle East. You have you know what do we have? Cold War um, Part Two going on. I think it, it, oh, no, brings, it seems like bromance part one, if you ask me. I don't know, because we have all this, all of our, um, we've got a lot of people going, uh, the military going over to Poland right now. But so I think there's a selection bias, obviously. It's the Christians in these, these countries that are doing this. And, but it, it brings them great comfort. By the way, if you look at what was the most popular Bible verse of 2016, not in terms of total shares and downloads, that was Romans 8.28. I'm sorry, that was, yeah, that was Romans 8.28, Zechariah 14.9. But in terms of the amount of countries where it was number one, Jeremiah 29.11. In terms of the countries where it was number number one, 29 out of 88 countries and territories that are connected on version. Jeremiah 29.11, that includes Saudi Arabia, Colombia, Italy, and several others, was the number one Bible verse in those countries. So... There you go. Georgetown University professor and author Michael Eric Dyson says white people should keep a, quote, end, proper grammar, and, quote, individual reparations account, unquote, 
to make donations to black groups and atone for America's history of slavery and racism. Mr. Dyson was discussing his forthcoming book, Tears We Cannot Stop, a sermon Ugh. to white America with the with New York Times magazine when he touched on the subject on this subject in his uh, in his book that talks about white people making reparations on a local and individual level. One of the things I've tried to do and I've encouraged our audience to do is to try and see where someone is coming from when they make a point. Does it have any legitimacy at all, right? We talk about three-dimensional thinking on the show. Know why you believe what you believe. Know why other people believe what they believe is the second dimension. The third dimension is know why other people believe what they believe about or what you believe, right? So this is, And that's, that's where you get into persuading people is if you know where they're coming from about where you're coming from. I, this stuff I don't get. I, and I'm, I try, and I, I don't get it. Like I, you know, my family, as, as uh, Mr. Potter would put it in It's a Wonderful Life, were a bunch of garlic eaters that came over here the turn of the 20th century. That's my ancestors. We missed all this debate. We weren't even a part of this. Our, my ancestors lived in the ghettos first, okay? So, I, I mean, I, I don't... I, explain then why you would say to somebody whose parents, whose, whose ancestors immigrated here a, a century ago, or even more recently... Why they somehow owe reparations to something they weren't even a part of, tied to in terms of lineage or legacy, but merely by race. Isn't that in and of itself racism? Yes. Help me to understand this. No. I just, no. And if you're going to get my attention at all, at the very least, you need to start talking to me at the plight of black fatherhood in your communities and addressing that head on, and then maybe we can have a discussion about this. Until With you the do death that, of and, their babies, yes, or yes, and of course the Holocaust of black babies, and, and less than until you do that, this is a non-starter. I, I just, I don't want to think, just because I'm cynical enough, I don't want to think these are just all scam artists. That maybe there's just some people that are missing, but this doesn't even pass critical thinking muster. I mean, this would this and this guy isn't dumb. No, but th- what he's asserting wouldn't hold up on one a follow up question of cross examination. The whole cotton right. thing would collapse. So you have to where do you, how do you get to this point? Is that is that a worldview issue as well? You just simply see the world in such overtly racial terms, you can't see beyond that the forest of the trees. Is that really what that is? And then he perpetuates victimhood as a tenured professor. at Georgetown University. Yep. Yeah, he's a he's a victim. More in a moment. You're listening to Steve Dace. don't have to have all the answers, but you do have to know where to find them. The Steve Day Show. Back here on the Steve Day Show here on the Salem Radio Network, powered by Conservative Review. This is a little game we like to play each and every week here on this show called Buy, Sell, or Hold. And even though he is on his Harry Potter hodge, our producer Aaron was kind enough to leave behind for us for this week again a series of statements Things that may come true or may not. And that's what we have to determine, ladies and gentlemen. We put a buy. Yeah, I buy that. That's going to go down. A sell. No way. That's going to happen. Or you're given one hold. 
one time you're allowed to say, I'm going to need, you're gonna, you're, you can pull a Rex Tillerson. I'll use my lifeline. And claim and claim you haven't seen the intel on that yet, so you need some time to think about haven't it. Haven't been briefed on it. Yes. You just right. convinced me not to use a hold at all with that comparison. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so we've got seven statements here, and give me more than just buy, sell, or hold. All right, so I mean, give me, uh, you know, we've got a, a couple, we got some minutes here to discuss this. So give us some reasoning why you are making this consideration. All right, number one. Republicans really will defund Planned Parenthood as we know it, he means on Capitol Hill, but leave a backdoor open for funding by other means. Todd. I will buy that. I'm not even sure that it'll be an overt backdoor. I just think this whole strident conservative thing might be very, very new to some of these people, and they might not button up the language as tight as it could otherwise be. They might just try to massage it for the sake of uh, appeal, not sounding quite so harsh. So I will buy that. Kim. Wow. Um, I'm going to sell. Um, I don't think they're going to defund Planned Parenthood. I think um, they're going to continue to um, buy into this idea that you can actually send dollars to Planned Parenthood and they can do good things like um, Donald Trump believes. So I'm I'm going to sell it, even on the initial premise. I think Kim is right. I, I don't want to think this, but let me explain why I think this is right. I hate this game. <laughs> the reason why I think that this is correct, you alluded to it a little bit, Kim, but... I want to make sure our audience understands the full context of why I'm making this making this prediction that I don't want to be right about. Trump was the first candidate during the primary to say if, you know, Planned Parenthood should be prosecuted and if these videos are true, several said that right away, Cruz, several others. But Trump took it a step further. He was the very first candidate. I think he said it on Hugh Hewitt's show actually here on Salem. Cuz he was being interviewed that, that right at the time this was all breaking at that moment. And uh, Cruz and Rubio and a lot of the and those candidates were in Congress debating the funding and the continuing resolution. It was last September or September of 2015. And Trump said they should be defunded if this stuff is true. And then within a few days, his daughter Ivanka had come to him and said they do some great things. And Trump went from the first presidential candidate in the Republican field to say Planned Parenthood should be defunded over these videos to then being the only candidate we had in the field in the last primary who was against defund, fully defunding Planned Parenthood. Because of that, at a time when at a time when it would have been politically beneficial for him to just stick with this stance, even if he had no intention of sticking with it later, because it's not like we haven't seen evidence of that from Donald Trump, right? Just say what you want to hear at that time to get you to do what he wants you to do. At a time when it would have been politically beneficial for him just to stick with this hardline stance, even if he couldn't follow through with it later, it would have helped him at that time, and we know that's his M.O., the influence his daughter had with him on this sort of an issue was enough for him to take a position that was not politically beneficial, and Cecilia Richards ended up naming him Planned Parenthood's favorite Republican. This all went down in two weeks. Why do we care about what her, his daughter thinks about any? If this is what Congress thinks it needs to do because it's what its constituents wants, there's no way Trump vetoes this thing. Why aren't they just going to do it? I think he'll. I think they'll come up with something, some new layer of regulation, 
some new layer of accountability to say that that we know, we'll know for sure this money isn't going towards right. abortions, oh. and then and then well, as long as you say that, <laughs> and then. And then, which of course, the, that there's no way to actually carry forward. No, because money is fungible and it and, moves. And the way they'll get the the way they'll get many of the so-called conservative and fake pro-life groups to go along with this. I hope I'm wrong. I I want, Lord, I want to be wrong. I do. The way they'll get them to go along with this is, they will match funding for abstinence groups, in the schools and things of that nature, so they get a check too, and that's why I meant, that's why they'll go silent. And they'll say, it'll be their Stupak Amendment. Remember that? The fake Catholic pro-life yep. Democrat during the Obamacare fight? And we had some fake pro-life groups say, well, Ob- we're out of the Obamacare fight now because we have the Stupak Amendment. They won't fund abortions. You can tell that to the little sisters of the poor and the likes of them many years later, right? You're going to get your fig leaf Stupak Amendment. I hope I'm wrong. I want to be wrong. I just don't think that I am. You're listening to Steve Dace. If you're part of the problem, don't bother getting out of the way. Stay right there, and we'll run over you. This is Steve Dace. All right, back with more buy-seller hold here on the Steve Day Show, powered by Conservative Review. All right, that first buy-seller hold Aaron left us was so heavy, he took the whole cotton-picking segment. All right, let's see if we can get through the, uh, a few more of these a little bit quicker, uh, Kim and uh, Todd. Number two, either Mike Lee or Ted Cruz will fill Scalia's seat on the U.S. Supreme Court. Kim. Boy, this one gets tough because it's kind of that, oh, I want it so much to be true. Um, sell. No way that that he would actually pick someone that conservative to be on there. No, I think I'm still going with that Diana Sykes or something. That, yeah, yeah, the person that's really not a conservative, but he Donald Trump likes, and it's on the Heritage Foundation's list. So that's what I'm going with a sell. Todd, I'm also going to sell because there's. I just think there's no way it's Ted Cruz. So that means it's Mike Lee against the field, and whether it's Sykes. Or another woman, uh, and I think this might be an attempt by Donald Trump to sh- show his bona fides uh, with uh, female voters and w- try to make sure that we. He's. Uh, I'm not a progressive. Uh, I'm. I, I'm. A, I'm a Republican. I'm a conservative, uh, but I'm also pro woman. So I think he might go that route. I. I, I think your you, your analysis is probably right. It just won't result in what these things. These things. Our t- people that would even consider voting for our brand, whatever that is, are not motivated by these kinds of impulses. They just don't work. Where they do work is they shield you from the attacks from the other side that is. But they don't. Add, they, so they shield you, but they don't add anything. Does that make sense? It's a defensive mechanism. It doesn't bring anything to the fold. Yes. No, there wasn't. I, I don't know how many women got up the next morning and thought, you know, I just. I guess I'm going to. Reagan already won one landslide. I, I guess let's give him a bigger one because he put you know Sandra Day O'Connor on the court. I, I, the people who care about that stuff on that visceral level probably are never voting for who represents us anyway. That being said, I'm going to sell, but with but I'm going to sell with you. But I'm going to I'm going to add some optimism. There's more of a chance of this happening than you guys probably think, because of the way Trump operates. It's just our own movement is not equipped to make it happen. If there had been, particularly now that you have Mike Lee on record saying he would take it if it was offered, if, if you had an effort in place amongst a bunch of conservative groups that have influence with Trump to not, 
I love what Andy Schlafly is doing. I put him on the air. I want our audience to be informed. In terms of tactics, I don't believe that's how you win with Trump, though. I don't. I believe you win with Trump by bringing him a better solution than the one he's currently mulling over. Not by pointing out to him the solutions he's mulling over aren't good enough. The art of the deal? Yes. And so the way I think that you could have gotten this done is if you would have had a conservative campaign that would have begun making a public lobbying effort amongst the base for one of these two guys, or even both of them at the same time, and said, these are two guys that have been tested. We've seen them in the arena on our issues. Everybody knows where they stand. We're sleeping like a baby at night. We're in all the way. This one has to be 100% or metaphysical certitude that would have been cable news, radio talk, talk radio interviews. If there would have been a conservative effort put forth to champion one of these two guys, to get him in front of Trump as the best solution, not that your other solutions aren't good enough. I absolutely believe, absolutely believe. The guy that sits in Trump Tower all day long watching cable news, and he sees, hey, there's a, there's, there, there is a groundswell, particularly if it wasn't Cruz. If you, take, if, if you buy in that there's a personal axe to grind, the, the other thing about Donald Trump is, I don't think personal axes to grind mean as much to him as you guys think that they do. They mean, they mean a lot. But I, don't, I think Trump burns fast. I think he burns bright and then, they, and then can restart quickly if it's in his best interest to do so. Okay. Why does there but, need to be a groundswell? It was uh, courts, 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 courts. That because, was the groundswell. Because the, he, he, because the original list he got was from the groundswell, from Heritage, Federalist Society. That's the list he's working off. That's right. That Because he, he doesn't know what Matt McCoviak said in hour one. He doesn't know the deets. He's waiting for the people. Why do you guys think I said right after the election that Trump's fealty to conservatives after getting elected will not be up to Trump, but by the conservative leadership that is around him saying, hey, we need this from you to make the trains run on time. Trump is the kind of CEO that says, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to open up this P&L statement, and it's going to tell me what I needed to say. And if it doesn't, you're all fired. Unless one of you can tell me what it is you need to get it to say what I needed to say next month when I come in. Thank you. That's what you're dealing with. So if the conservative groups, where do you think he even heard the name Diana Sykes? Bill Pryor. He didn't know who the hell these people were. Didn't know who they were. Heard about them from our own folks. So if our own folks said, you know what, Mike Lee's 100%, man. Mike Lee's like a walking Cleon Skousen constitutional class. If, if Cleon Skousen and George Washington had a kid, all right? And they gave birth to him at Brigham Young University. Mike Lee would come out. That's who our judge has to be. Do you know what Trump would put up, would put up on the Supreme Court? That guy. But that's not what you asked for. You asked for Diana Sykes and Bill Pryor. So that's probably what you'll get. Do you see my point? So I agree with your cell. But I don't think this one, if that's who you end up, if you end up with a B, with a B or a B plus, and, which is what those guys would be, John Roberts types, as opposed to an A plus, which is what... Lee and Cruz would be. It's not Trump's fault. It's yours. He doesn't know who they are. You didn't ask for this. They should have asked. And so if there had been a groundswell of support to say, Mike Lee for U.S. Supreme Court, not to mention the Utah Republican Party would have gotten behind that so they could put one of their own people, they could put another Orrin Hatch clone in there to get the Mike, Mike Lee the hell out of there from pestering him all the time. That could have absolutely happened. There may be a window it could still happen because he hasn't taken the oath yet. But that window is closed, and that needed to go down like from Thanksgiving to Christmas. During a dead period, you would have dominated the headlines because there wasn't a lot of political news being made other than the transition itself, right? That You need to come at Trump not with, this isn't good enough, but I have a better solution.
That's what you need to come at Trump with. So I really appreciate the vetting Andy Schlafly is doing. It's necessary, and we need to know. But but I would I would not take Andy Schlafly's information and then go to Trump with, hey, these guys aren't good enough. I would go to Trump with, okay, now that we know some of those names aren't what we like, let's give him the names that we do and tell and, and sell him on why these are better names. And Mike Lee, hey, he's already he, the Senate colleagues already know him. They're not going to vote against this guy. They do work with him all the time. He's worked across the aisle on criminal justice reform, right? That's the case that needed to be made. You guys' thoughts on that? Well, Trump needed to have that list in hand before he even won the election, as far as I'm concerned. This shouldn't but be see, being... Trump was under the belief he had that list in hand already. He, Trump was under the, is under the belief that, he had that he's had that list in hand since last May when they gave it to him. Right, and that gave him political cover yes. to move forward, right? Yes, this, this is not... Listen, I'm not, a, I'm, not a, I'm not a shrinking violet where Trump is concerned. I think we've all re- realized that. This is not Donald Trump's fault. If Donald Trump doesn't give us a Scalia for a Scalia, I don't believe it's his fault. It's the fault of the conservative infrastructure around him. He said, tell me who you want, and they gave him B-minus choices instead of A-plus ones. That's on them. You're listening to Steve Dace. Beating liberals is important, but more important, who you beat them with. This is Steve Dace. All right, back here to wrap it up on the Steve Dace Show, powered by Conservative Review. So what did we learn here this evening? Todd, I'm going to begin with you, brother. What did you learn here tonight? Well, our guests, two of our guests, uh, Matt and Eric, showed a... Similar degree of erring on the side of optimism, uh, that the opportunity at hand versus what you would have had with Hillary is where they're putting all their chips. It's understandable. Uh, But then uh, our other guest uh, talked about how we have no concept of what human nature is anymore. It's, I, I want to err on optimism. But if you have a culture that does not know what a human is anymore, it's not a safe bet. Hmm. Yeah, I was going to go back to that. Well, we've had that culture for about a generation now. Right. Theologian Owen Strain. Yes. I thought he did a fabulous job of of laying out for us that we do have a massive identity crisis. And it really is a call to action for Christians to be ready and able to speak with compassion and truth. But I think we need to make sure that it is, when we do so, these are God's definitions of compassion and truth and not yes, our own. Yes, absolutely. Sometimes we, we think truth is, I just, I, well, I, I keep it real, yo, and I just tell you, I, I, I tell you what's, what's up even when you don't want to hear it all the time. And I'm, I fall privy to this, or guilty of this at times too. But the reality is, that's not really true. That's not how the world really works. You know, I mean... You know, when your teenage daughter, she's trying to apply makeup for the first time, not that I have any recent experience with this, and she's trying to figure it all out, and she comes down and says, Dad, how do I do? You know, if, it, if, if, if you don't understand the terms, but you're looking at her as a, just a, as a guy that's looked at women in makeup, and you know something ain't right, you don't look at her and say, that, that's awful. It might be awful, right? But that's not the time or place to communicate it or the way to do so. And we do this with compassion on the other end, too. You know, we just, well, let me not say what's, let me not say what needs to be said because this isn't the right time. Well, it may not be the right time. It also just might not be the right time for you because you're a wuss. 
So I think we need to make sure that, that we go by what God's definitions of truth and compassion are and not our own. Yes. Not our own. You know, some of us call truth spouting off. Well, I just want to, that's not, a, that's not truth, that's venting. Yep. And some of us call compassion cowardly silence. That's not compassion, it's just cowardly silence. Is it a problem if we don't know what God's definitions are in the first place? That, well, well, since you put it that way. <laughs> yes. Yes, of course. That, that is the issue. You know, it, I guess what I'm trying to ironically point out is that if, if we're going to, if, if we want to, persuade and if we want to persuade and challenge those that are undoing our creator's definitions in our culture we better know our creator's definitions ourselves that we're trying to say amen yes yeah judge not lest you be judged by the same standard you judge others so shall you also be judged john 3 17 you're listening to steve dace 